You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Okay, good morning everybody. If you'd like to just take your seats, that'd be brilliant. So good to be here today. When I saw all those people in Richmond, I thought, have they all come really to hear me preach? But apparently not. (laughs) Yeah, I knew it was Christmas market today. Wow, what a busy place Richmond is at Christmas market time. Uh, It's amazing. Just so good to be here. Um, Normally Judy would be here with me. Uh, she sends her love. She's not able to be with us today. She's in Nottingham today because our daughter is just about to give birth. And uh, so I've just been checking my phone just during the service, just see if anything's happened. No, still waiting patiently. Uh, I heard, um, heard Colleen preach last week at Penrith about uh, waiting patiently. Goodness me, when you're, an, when you're waiting to be a granddad, the, the waiting, amazing. I'm not good at it. I am the the world's worst person uh, at waiting for things. So Judy sends her love. Um, If you uh, haven't met me before, my name's Nick. Uh, Judy and I are the location pastors at Workington, and we've been going for uh, about 14, 15 months now in Workington. And I want to say thank you again. I say this every time that I come, but thank you again, because you have a part to play in what we're doing over in Workington. So we're grateful for being part of this family together. We're not just about the mechanics of doing church. We are a family as a church together. And so I love it when I walk in here that I see smiling faces of people who I relate to because it's not the mechanics of church. It's the family relationships that makes church work. And I want to encourage you as well that being influenced church Being an influence is not just our aspiration, it's our reality as well. That we're not just wanting to be an influence, we are being an influence. You guys here in Richmond, you are being an influence. Your influence has extended as far as Workington on the very west coast of Cumbria because you have a part to play in what we are doing. So being an, uh, sometimes it might be that we kind of feel, well, we're just who we are and we just go through the, the routines that we go through. We can often underestimate how much of an influence we can be. And so in Workington, we've had people... Uh, become Christians, we've had somebody baptized, we have children who are hearing about Jesus, who've never heard about Jesus before, we've had people who are engaged in church, who had become disengaged with church, we've got people whose lives were broken, who are finding healing and restoration, and it's all because of the influence that we can be into other people's lives. So don't underestimate your part that you have to play, even in what's happening in Workington, when you've never been there, never visited there. If you've prayed, you've been an influence. And so I want to say thank you, because it's so good that we in Workington know that we are related into something so much bigger, and we can also have our part to play in influencing the whole of the north of England. Because actually we are having a great influence in what we're doing, 
but there is so much more for us. And even in Cumbria, Cumbria has 330,000 people. There is an enormous area just in Cumbria to have an influence on. So there's so much more ahead of us, but let's not underestimate what God is also doing through, through us. So most of us, I guess, have favorite characters in the Bible. And uh, I'm going to just ask you to think for a moment who your favorite Old Testament character is. Just have a think for a moment. I've said Old Testament because if I said your favorite Bible character, I know everybody would say Jesus. So uh, we've got to put Jesus to one side for a moment. And we're just going to think about the Old Testament. Just think about who your favorite character from the Old Testament is. Now, I guess that for quite a few people, it's going to be David. Because David, we love David. We love the story of David. If we came through Sunday school, we'd have heard the story of David. We love the way that he was overlooked, but then came into, his, came into being a king. We love the, the story of David and Goliath and picking up the stones and the sling and you know, killing Goliath. We love that whole story, um, but I'm not talking about David today. Uh, others of us, uh, for me, Abraham. Abraham, I love Abraham's vision and faith. He'd be my favorite Bible character. Maybe for you, it would be Esther or Ruth or, or Joshua or, or Joseph or, or Nehemiah. There are all these great characters in the Old Testament. Uh, my, my, I'm not a betting man, but I guess that there was nobody in this room who said Jacob. I mean, did anybody think Jacob when I said your favorite Bible character? Oh, oh, amazing. For most of us, Jacob would not be our favorite Bible character because there's not a lot that is heroic about him. There's not a lot that's inspiring about him. Jacob is a guy who uh, his life was a life full of conflict. And, um, uh, you know, we love heroic people. We love people who we could aspire to be like them. And when we, I had to think for a moment what is there inspiring about Jacob's life? I even, I don't know whether you're like me, I sometimes doubt myself. I suddenly thought, is Jacob even in the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews? Because what is there about his life? Because the first time we meet Jacob is, uh, is in a situation of conflict. The first time we read about Jacob, he is in his mother's womb and he is fighting with his brother in his mother's womb. Now, this is obviously very... Uh, very relevant to my life at the moment with my daughter just about to give birth. And, you know, she is going through this really hard time. Imagine if she was having twins. She would be absolutely hating that at this very moment. And imagine she was having twins and they were having a fight inside her. That would be just the most awful thing. But the first time that we meet Jacob, he is having a fight with his brother. He was a man who seemed to, everywhere he went, he seemed to get into conflict. So, uh, he's in conflict with his brother, and then uh, a little bit later on we read that he, uh, although he is the younger brother, he manipulates Esau, his older brother, into giving him his birthright. Then he tricks his father into giving him the blessing that should have been given to his older brother, and then he runs away. Then later we hear that he gets tricked by his uncle, uh, he has to work for 14 years. Uh, in, uh, he gets tricked by his uncle into marrying the wrong girl. I mean, how does that even work? He gets tricked by his uncle, and then um, he has to work for 14 years to be able to uh, 
marry the right girl that he wants to marry. Then he gets his own back on his uncle by some weird trickery that I don't understand, involving goats and sticks and things like that. And, uh, uh, and then, uh, to cap it all, he gets into a fight with God. So amongst all of these things, I don't find many things that inspire me to say, I want to be like Jacob. And yet Jacob is one of the most significant people in the Bible. Despite this soap opera of a life, we find that God has a purpose for him. It doesn't matter how many times he's messed up, how many things he's done wrong, how many conflicts he's got into, God still has a purpose for his life. God doesn't wait till we are perfect before he uses us for his purpose. He can use us in the middle of our failures and imperfections, whether they're real failures or imagined failures, real imperfections or imagined imperfections. God can use us, and we should not allow them to disqualify us. He uses cowards like Gideon. He uses orphans like Moses. He uses prostitutes like Rahab. He even uses a donkey to speak his word. If God can use a donkey, he can use a flawed man like Jacob who gets into fights and battles and conflict all the time. So he's tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that was due to the older brother, and then he runs away. So he's a coward amongst the whole thing as well. But when he runs away, he lies down to sleep at night, and he has, in Genesis 28, an amazing revelation from God. It's not a revelation that he has earned. He hasn't done lots of holy things to get to this place of a revelation. It's God's sovereign purpose to reveal himself to Jacob in this moment. By the time we get to Genesis 28, personally, I would have written Jacob off. At this stage, he doesn't seem like good material. But here's a revelation. God is much more gracious than I am. Actually, it's not a revelation at all. It's absolutely clear. God is much, much more gracious than I am. I can write myself off, but God doesn't write me off. I can write other people off, but God doesn't write other people off. God still has got a purpose even for people who are written off. And so we get to this stage where God reveals himself in this amazing sovereign way to uh, Jacob while he is asleep at night. And it's in Genesis 28, and this is what we read. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and the Lord said this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not even aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
So here's this man with an uninspiring past, running away. He goes to sleep and he has this amazing dream revelation. And in this dream, God affirms to him the promises that God had made to his grandfather, Abraham. Jacob would have heard these promises many times, but he would not really have appropriated them for himself. He had heard these promises secondhand, but now he receives them from himself because he has this revelation from God that promises what God wants to do through his life because he is one of the descendants of Abraham, that the promises to Abraham were going to be fulfilled through him as well. So he receives these promises for himself. And, and I want to just say that, that sometimes God needs to reconfirm promises. Sometimes God has spoken to us, but we need him to speak to us again. And sometimes we need a fresh encounter with him so that we hear from him again. Sometimes he wants to remind us of the things that he has already said. And God is actually more than able to do that. You find this promise, the same promise that he made to Abraham, he made that promise several times. And now he's making the same promise to Jacob as well. God is not bored with repeating himself. He is very happy to repeat himself because his purpose is to be fulfilled. And sometimes we need to also make these promises our own. You know, our vision for church, we need to make it a vision for our lives, not just for church out there, but church in here, that we have a part to play, that we are part of this. You know, I love hearing vision talks, but it's not enough just to hear a vision talk. We need an encounter with God where he speaks right into our hearts. I love DNA. We did um, DNA. Yeah, DNA. I always get confused between LDN and DNA. Too many Ds and too many Ns. Um, I, I loved the DNA course. Judy and I, we did the, the Zoom DNA course again last week. And it's about the fourth or fifth time we've done it. And we did it because we had somebody uh, who wanted to do it who wasn't very good at Zoom. So we got them to come to our house. And uh, it was really good. But I was inspired afresh by the DNA course and the vision of Influence Church. And we need that encounter with God for ourselves, that we're not just hearing somebody else's vision and think, oh, that's good, I'd just like to get on board with that a bit. But we know that vision really in our hearts for ourselves. So we see here several things. We see the importance of encountering God for ourselves, not a secondhand encounter, not a secondhand vision. We see God's sovereignty. God uh, Jacob does all sorts of bad things, but God still overrules so that his purpose gets fulfilled. We see that, as I've said, God is far more gracious than I am. But we also need to recognize that God's blessing and him using us isn't an excuse for our bad behavior. Sometimes we can do some bad behavior, we can do some things that are wrong, and we find we get away with it. And we can find, okay, well, I got away with it that time, maybe I'll get away with it again and get away with it again. We shouldn't allow the grace of God to allow it to be an excuse for our bad behavior. But what I want to focus on is not so much what God did, but Jacob's response. Because Jacob's response was to say this, this is the house of God, this is the gateway of heaven. You see, Jacob has a revelation that exceeds the revelation that anyone before had ever had. 
People had met with God before, but nobody had encountered God in the way that they saw it as, I am in the very household of God. I am in the very place where God lives. This is the first mention in the Bible of the phrase, the house of God. So he has this revelation that even Abraham hadn't had. He has this revelation that goes beyond that. People had met with God before, but he was meeting with him somehow in a place where he knew this is where God actually lives. He doesn't just visit, he's living here. You see, a house is not just a building, it's a place where someone lives. And when we talk about the house of God, and it's a phrase we use sometimes, we need to remember it's the place where he lives. It's not just the gathering of people, it's the place where he dwells. That when we're coming into the house of God, we're coming into the place where he is the householder, if you like. He is the owner. When you come to my house, you come to my house. I'm the householder. I'm the person who lives there. I'm not the visitor. When you come to my house, I'm not the visitor. When we come to the house of God, God is not the visitor. He's the one who lives here. And we need a much greater expectation understanding. Actually, God lives amongst his people. Sometimes we think of God visiting us on a Sunday. We're not looking for a visitation. We're looking for his habitation, the place that he inhabits. We see a, a progression through history. It's important that we don't just read the Old Testament just as a, a list of random things that happen to happen through history, but often there is a progression. That history is the unfolding of God's purposes of redemption. And there is this unfolding purpose of the house of God because God's heart has always been to live amongst his people. That's always been his heart. This is the first mention of the house of God. Later in Exodus, Moses builds the tabernacle. He builds this glorious, movable structure that can be moving with the people of God as they are moving towards the promised land. And so this is this, this structure that is a place for God to dwell amongst his people. And it, so it, it reflected the fact that God wanted to live amongst his people. It wasn't just that he was sending them off on a journey, but he wanted to go with them. And so Moses built the tabernacle. Once the people of God had got into the promised land and they were settled there, Solomon built a temple. The temple wasn't just to be a glorious building. It was a place for God to be living amongst his people. And then we read, you may be familiar with the story that when Solomon dedicates the temple, the glory of the Lord fills the place. So much so that the priests can't even stand up. They, they're struck down in the immensity of God's presence in his building. You know, God's purpose in that moment wasn't that he came for a moment, but he came and stayed. Sometimes we think of God coming for a moment, but he wants to come and stay amongst his people. That's always been his purpose. Now, that temple was later destroyed, and another temple was built, and it was that temple that was around in Jesus' day. But when we come to the New Testament, we're told that we as Christians are the temple of the Holy Spirit, individually and corporately. Peter says, you are being built together as living stones, as a temple 
dwelling as a dwelling place for God. In other words, we are the house of God. We are the place for him to live. And he wants to live in us individually, and he wants to live in us corporately. So there's this progression. There was Jacob's revelation, and then there was the tabernacle, and then there was the temple, and then there's us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Revelation 21, verse 3, it says this, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. It's like it's get, got to the culmination at that point. This is the, the, the fullest, uh, um, fullest explanation of what God wanted to do, that he wanted to dwell amongst his place, uh, amongst his people. And it's as though heaven is saying, at last, God's dwelling place is here among men on a permanent basis forever. That's God's ultimate intention. He's had this intention to dwell amongst his people throughout history. And we are in the middle of that history. We're at that point where he is dwelling amongst his people by his spirit. Now we know, don't we, that in the New Testament, the church is never the building. The word that is, described, uh, that is translated as church in the New Testament never refers to a building. It always refers to to the people. There are two words, ecclesia, which is a gathering of people, and koinonia, which is the fellowship of people. It's about relationship. So whatever building we may be in, here we're in a cinema, in our other locations, we meet in all sorts of different buildings. It's not about the building. It's about the people, because it's amongst the people that God is dwelling. Whereas in the Old Testament, God lived amongst his people, but he was kept separate in the tabernacle. He was kept separate in the temple. Now he's not kept separate because in Christ, there is no separation between us and God. So holiness is no longer the issue that it was in the Old Testament times. We have free access into his presence. So we can use the term the house of God in a loose way to mean the church, but never with the sense that we lose the fact that it is his house. It's the place where he dwells amongst his people. So the house of God is the place where he lives. It's also about access to heaven. Jacob says he has seen it's the gateway to heaven. Not the gateway to heaven in terms of our future existence when we die, but heaven as it is now. The church is positioned at the gateway to heaven. The church is at the place where heaven is open. Jacob saw these angels going backwards and forwards. And this symbolizes the activity between heaven and earth. And the church is placed at that position where heaven intersects with earth, where we taste of the powers of the age to come. So the house of God is at the gateway of heaven. The house of God is the house, is a house of miracles. I've been so challenged by that song that we've been singing, A House of Miracles. First time we sang that in Workington, I sang it with enthusiasm, but I also sang it with some sense of 
awe because I thought, you know what, I'm not just singing words, I'm singing what I want to believe I actually see here in this location in Workington and actually in all our locations. That what I want to see is not just that we gather together and sing and worship, but that it's a house of miracles because it's a house of his presence. Where God's presence is, there should be miracles. So when we sing that song, House of Miracles, I'm challenged every time and I'm thinking, what do I want to build here in Workington in, our, in my location? I want to build into the fact, into, into our church, the fact that we want to be a house of miracles. That when, when people come in, they're coming to a place where miracles happen, where God is so obviously present amongst his people. Sometimes I can get so tied up on a Sunday with all the mechanics of making church happen that I can lose sight of the fact that what it's all about is the presence of God amongst his people. And it's not just in the worship time. Again, sometimes we can think, oh, the presence of God in the worship time, that's the pinnacle. But no, the presence of God in absolutely every aspect of what we do. Not just on Sundays, but in life group in Elevate, in Hero Factory, in the welcome, in the pre-service prayer. You know, when you're welcoming people, if you're on the welcome team, yes, it's nice to, to have a nice smile for people and make people feel welcome, but you're welcoming people into the presence of God because where the people of God are gathered, that's where his presence is. So the role of welcome team is so important because you're welcoming people into the presence of God. The pre-service prayer, sometimes I can think in terms of pre-service prayer as somehow I'm praying that God's going to turn up. God is very willing to turn up. He is present amongst his his people. What I actually need to pray is that we will be open in our hearts to what God wants to do more than I hope he turns up, hope he visits this week. You know, I'm challenged just thinking about ministry time. You know, sometimes ministry time we can think is just about if you've got a problem, you get ministry. But maybe we need to change our thinking that actually ministry time can be, actually, I haven't got anything that's an issue, but I want to encounter God in a fresh way. I want him to speak to me in a fresh way. I want fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit into my life. Sometimes we can sort of bring it down to the lowest common denominator of just something that needs to happen in my life. But maybe there's nothing that needs to happen in my life. But maybe we need to build into our expectation that I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to meet with God and who knows what he might do in my life. Who knows what new fresh promises he may speak into my life even when I wasn't ready for it. Who knows what fresh things he may, he may do in my life. Who knows what fresh breakthroughs there may be in my life. I want to encourage us that we have this such an expectation for the presence of God to be amongst us that we don't just deb, uh, um, limit things to just doing the things of church each week. You know, it was great. Uh, I heard so it was great to be here uh, just a couple of weeks weeks ago when uh, Pastor Meshach was here, and uh, he was such a great guy. And I had heard you had such a great time on the Sunday, and he was very prophetic and and speaking into people's lives, and that's brilliant. But let's not just think that's when we have a visiting speaker. 
Let's have an expectation that whether it's a visiting speaker or, or just somebody who preaches almost every week, it doesn't make any difference in our expectation of what God might do, of what God might say, of how he might impact our lives. Because it's not about the visiting speaker. We know this, but sometimes we just need a reminder. It's not just about the visiting speaker. It's about the fact that we are in the presence of God. And who knows what God might do when his presence is here. So the church is the place of God's presence. The church is the place of access to heaven. The church is a house of miracles. And the church is a house of revival. I heard a phrase many years ago, and it was this. Revival begins with the house of God. You know, we were singing that song, you know, Lord said revival. Uh, I, I particularly... <laughs> I particularly Relate to the bit, Lord send revival, Lord send it now. Because I'm that impatient person who wants it absolutely now. But you know, when we're praying for revival, when we're calling out to God for revival, we should expect it. But God starts in his house. God starts revival in his house. And it starts with an encounter with the presence of God. I've read many, many stories of revivals over the years in this country and other countries and it nearly always starts with people who already know him. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of this idea that I'm praying for revival and somehow it's gonna, God's going to do it sovereignly out there in a way that doesn't involve me at all. But actually so often God's revival starts by reviving his church, by fresh encounters with his people in the house of God. So I want to encourage us every time that we sing that song, every time we pray for revival, that we're asking that God will revive us, not just revive what's out there, the people who are out there. You know, today, I was just thinking uh, today because it's the Christmas market and I was thinking, seeing all these people out there and I was thinking, you know, I want revival to affect all those people. I would love it if there was a crowd like that wanting to go to church, not just go to a Christmas market. But I was inspired by that, but thinking, you know what, this is the house of his presence and God's presence can have an effect beyond the place where it is. That God's presence in our lives, in our gathering, can affect the people out there. And I want to encourage us to have that expectation. I want us to pray every time we pray with an expectation that heaven is open. Because this is the gateway to heaven. That when we worship, we're not hoping that God will come amongst us. We know he is amongst us. We're going to worship now, and uh, I, I would love it if we just make sure that we don't go through the motions of this is a, a closing song, but actually this is a moment for encounter. This is a moment to encounter the presence of God in a fresh way. You know, it may well be there's something in your life that you actually do need prayer for. Why not take the opportunity uh, come down the front, uh, maybe during the worship or just at the end, and get somebody to pray for you. Or maybe there isn't a need, but you just think, I want more of God. I want to know more of his presence in my life. Well, why not take the opportunity today to get someone to pray for you? And then finally, amidst everything in our Christmas services, 
we're not just inviting people to a presentation. We're inviting people to the presence of God. So often, you know, we, we do things and we love the program and we love the events and, and we want to do them really well. But over and above all of that, we are inviting people into the presence of God. Because where the people of God are gathered, He is there. And we want to have a high expectation that as we gather people, as we invite people into the presence of God, that He will do the miraculous in their lives. Even through... Uh, through uh, children's presentations and things on the screen and songs and fun and laughter in the midst of all of that. God's presence is with his people making a difference. I've never been one who wants to just focus on church as just an insular gathering of people. I love the fact we did the scattered series and being scattered is really important but there's also being gathered and being gathered and knowing God's presence amongst his people. So we're just going to carry on worshipping now. Let's just all stand and uh, Rich and the band just going to lead us in our worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.